Okay. How's everybody? You all right? Um, <coughs> yeah, so we began last week by um, thinking about not just why we need to follow Jesus, but practically what does that look like? How do we actually do that? And I think that's kind of, as I was thinking about, you know, you know, like the, the prayer that we pray together, the Apostles' Creed, and, you know, what it means to be a church, and, you know, what, what's the point of what we're doing here? You know, I realize church is not necessarily about being part of an organization that will transform a city. Um, some churches are called to do that, but at the very core of it, it's for the people in the church to start to become more and more like Jesus, for us to learn about God and for us to slowly transform and become more Christ-like and learn how to share that with the people around us. So just kind of remembering like what the point is, that um, we're not here to necessarily like learn something fantastic and you know, awesome about the Bible, but the most important thing is that what we learn today is something that actually helps us to change and to grow and become better Christians, become more like Christ. All right, so <clears throat> thank you, Stephanie, for reading our passage for today. Um, you know, with Paul in the beginning of chapter 5, we start with the basic understanding that, yes, Jesus is the way to eternal life, to become one with God again, right? Because... Because of sin, we were separated from God, right? And because of the effects of sin, our life is filled with pain and suffering and difficulty and not everything goes perfect and sometimes it's really hard and friendships and family, everything can be difficult sometimes. I think most of all, sin, it takes us away from God and it tries to steal our peace. It tries to steal our joy in life. Right? I think... You know, pain and suffering is not bad in itself. But because we don't have God with us, then it all becomes, like, what's the point? It becomes, feels meaningless. It becomes um, too, like, just overwhelming. We lose our peace. We lose our joy. So that's why we need Jesus. That's why we need to be one with God again, right? To restore that fullness, the meaning of life, you know, everlasting life with God. And that's why we follow Jesus. But, you know, faith, like believing in Jesus, it doesn't just end with saying, yes, I believe you, Jesus. Now I'm going to go to church. The end. You know, saying the sinner's prayer, just because you say that confession, that doesn't mean that you're finished. And then that's it. You know, what does it mean to walk with Jesus each day? What does it look like? And so as I said, for this month, I want to go through the book of Romans and find some key answers, key things that will help us to understand a bit deeper. Not just, yes, you have to read the Bible more, but why? How does that help us to walk with Jesus? So we're going to look at that for this month. All right, so last week, what did we talk about? We looked through verses 3 to 5 in Romans chapter 5. 
And I was, I was saying that you know, the reason that a lot of Christians struggle to experience that full life, like that life full of joy in Jesus, is because a lot of us are short-sighted. Like we can't see further than the end of our arm. We can't see things in the distance, spiritually, as a metaphor. You know, in Philippians chapter 3, 14, Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize that is Jesus. Because we are short-sighted, often we lose sight of the prize, the goal, the big picture, which is the guaranteed glory that waits for us, for those who follow Jesus. We lose sight of that. And so instead, all we see around us is the difficult things, the bad things, and we lose faith, we lose joy, we lose peace. We become anxious and stressed and hopeless. What's the point? But if you can see the end goal, you realize that every battle, every obstacle you have to overcome, all suffering Everything we encounter in life is actually designed to push us closer and closer to that goal. Our perspective changes. Like going to the gym. If you don't remember what the point is, you won't go to the gym. (laughs) But also, as you're in the gym, if you only focus on the pain and forget what the point is, it's not going to be enjoyable. You're not going to feel meaning and fulfillment in that. You'll be like, stuff this. I'm going home. Right? So if we can remember, if we can remember what the end prize is, if we can put on the glasses, which is knowing God's word, praying with him, that helps us see clearer what the big picture is, then we will realize that all the suffering, all the things that we have to overcome and fight in life is actually designed to make us more like Jesus, bring us closer to our goal, right? And so Paul says, rejoice, rejoice in every suffering. That's how, that's, that's what Paul means by saying rejoice in every suffering. So remember what the big picture is. Remember to push towards that prize, that goal which is everlasting glory with God. And so the way we do that, as I mentioned, is through prayer, reading the Bible, fasting, worshipping, coming together as a church. That is the way we kind of put on glasses spiritually. That's the way we sharpen our vision to see what is actually the big picture. Otherwise, We just naturally focus on what is around us and we stop looking into the distance and understanding what the point is. We lose meaning. We lose hope. And so, remember, Paul was writing this to the Roman Christians, the Christians in Rome, and they were facing persecution. So the Jewish believers were being persecuted by the other Jews, And then generally later, all believers were being persecuted by the emperor, right? They were literally being killed for their faith. 
or the Jewish Jews were being kicked out of their families, their communities for following Jesus out of the synagogues. Right? Can you imagine being disowned by your parents for following Jesus? I know that it's not as foreign a concept as it might seem for some of us. And without remembering where we're going, if you lose sight of that, then all the persecution, the rejection, that starts to feel it's too hard to take. Like, what's the meaning of this? Following Jesus is hard. It's, it's pointless. Right? That's why Paul was saying, you have to remember what the point is, where we're going. That's what's going to help you find joy and meaning in the suffering you're going through. Right? And we can be sure, we can be certain because of two things. The cross, which is the ultimate act in history showing God's love for us. Right? It's not just opinion, it's not just uh, theory, an idea, but it's something that actually happened. And the second thing is the Holy Spirit. God has sent the Holy Spirit into us. We can feel the effect, the power of the Holy Spirit changing us. We see it changing people. That is God's, he, uh, Paul calls it, deposit of guarantee. So you can be sure that this end glory is going to happen because of the cross and because of the Spirit that you can see changing people around you, changing yourself. You don't have to worry about whether this is true or not. This is my guarantee. Right, so that was last week. That was our first, um, I guess, lesson is to remember to be farsighted. Remember to keep the big picture in mind as you follow Jesus. Otherwise, it's going to be really hard to deal with the ups and downs of life. It's going to be hard to see the meaning and purpose of that. So today, I want us to focus on... Uh, so we have the, the passage from the end of chapter 5 to the middle of 16, uh, chapter 6. But I want to focus on, again, three verses today. Let's read from chapter 6, verse 12 to 14. Chapter 6, verse 12 to 14. Right, so if you're all there together, let's read it on three. One, two, three. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace." Amen. So today's passage was from chapter 5, verse 18 to 6, verse 14. But this, these three verses are our, fo our focus uh, passage for today. Right, so we talked about the Roman Christians. Another thing the Roman Christians were facing was, what do we do with the Jewish laws and regulations? Do we have to follow them all? Do we have to circumcise all the babies? Do new believers have to be circumcised as an adult 
That's is really painful. It's really painful. It's dangerous actually. Like why why is this important? What is what was the Jewish law? Was it just a bunch of rules to follow? Paul actually explains the law actually clearly defined what is sin. How you know God, how you know what pleases God, how you know what is good and not good. Without the law, you're not sure. Like, is this okay, God? <laughs> Lightning. I guess not, you know. That's how the pagans, before the Bible, a lot of pagans operated under that fear of uncertainty. Like, we don't know what pleases the God of war or not. Like you, And you just develop this tradition over time. But still, you, you, can, you never knew if you made the wrong decision, made the wrong step. And so when something bad happens to someone, well, I guess he upset the God of fertility. You know, it was just very unpredictable. So the law actually provided certainty and an understanding, a revelation of who God is and what uh, He loves, what He doesn't love, and what it means to interact with this God. Right? There was actually a purpose behind it. But then what happened? Jesus came and He fulfilled the whole law. So every, I think there was several hundred prophecies and laws that He filled in His lifetime. Why did He do that? To show that He was better than us? No. It was actually so that we wouldn't have to fulfill it in order to enter into God's family. So He did that for us on behalf of us and set us free from having to do that in order to earn entry into God's kingdom. Right? So now we don't have to kill animals every time we look at the wrong website. So, oh, I have to kill an animal now. Like, I have to just go to the coals and buy live sheep and take it to the temple and kill it. Like, we, we don't have to do these things now. But it's more than just that. It's that we can follow the law in order to please God, in order to have a relationship with Him, because we love Him, not because we have to do it in order to enter into a relationship with Him. There's a kind of there's a difference there, if you can understand. All right, we'll just keep we'll keep uh, thinking about that. So Jesus has freed us from the law. We don't have to kill sheep and goats. We don't have to visit the temple in Israel in order to meet God. But does that mean we can just now do whatever we want, live however we want, but we just have to believe in Jesus? I believe in Jesus, but church, don't have to go to church. Or you know, Is that the kind of freedom that Jesus has given us? Right? And I think it's, you don't want to just say, like, no, you have to go to church. I want us to understand why it's important that, like, we know that it's not the right answer, but why is it important that we still do these things that 
you know, are like religious that are, you know, rituals that connect us to God. Right? So one argument that Paul was addressing, some people were thinking, okay, so Jesus died for our sins. God's forgiveness is good. It covers my sin. But if my sin is bigger, then God's forgiveness is bigger. Isn't that better? So the more I sin, the greater God is. And so they ask, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Does it mean that God's grace and forgiveness gets bigger and bigger the more sinful we are? Now, one example of this that I could think of is, do you ever think that person has such a powerful testimony, but I don't? Have you ever thought that? Like, for example, there's a pastor, Pastor Caleb from the Busan campus. He was a drug dealer. He went to jail. He, he got out of jail, but then he violated the terms of his parole. So he got deported to Korea. And then in Korea, he met Jesus, served at the church, and then became a pastor. Well, you know, there's other, there's other stories about people who were in gangs. They helped kill people. And then they encountered Jesus in such a powerful way that now they save people before they killed them. Sometimes I reckon, well, that, that guy knows God's love so much more than me because he was such a bigger sinner than I was. It's that same kind of thinking, isn't it? And not just for the past testimonies, but even in our present situation, I think we can still think that way. All right? So if you think... Like maybe faith is more genuine. It's more authentic, organic, if I don't have to follow any rules. Right. I think in the modern, like the current generation, we have this sense of authenticity is based on like having no like rules. Like it's not set up. It's completely organic. That is when things are most authentic and genuine. Right? Because if you don't have any rules, but you have a relationship, then that relationship just comes purely from the heart. It's not based on action. Right? Therefore, that relationship is genuine and pure. It's that kind of thinking. Right? I think it's the same kind of question. Doesn't grace, God's grace abound more? The more we sin, the less rules and things we have. It's kind of like my sinning makes God's grace even bigger. So I'm just I'm just maxing out God's grace, man. I'm just making it big and glorious, genuine, authentic. Like it just when you think about it that way, it kind of sounds foolish. But subtly there are ways that we actually do think that. We are kind of operating under that principle. 
So I want to just make one distinction. I'm not talking about uh, the process of overcoming your struggles. Right, so before I met Jesus, let's say I struggled with um, stealing. And as I become a Christian, some things, it doesn't just automatically stop. But I have to keep praying and meeting with my Christian brothers. And I get better and better and better. But I may still go up and down. Still, still, still go up and down. And I get better and better and better. That is different to someone who does not believe in any sort of rules or regulations, who believes that sinning is okay, right? That God's grace is unlimited, so I can sin unlimited, right? That's called, this is the technical word, antinomialism. Anti meaning no, against. Nomial nomial means law. So no law, anti-law. This mindset that... It doesn't matter. You slept with a girl, doesn't matter. You went to the casino and gambled away your savings, it's okay. God's grace is real. Right? That attitude is completely different to someone who's trying to become more and more like Jesus, but is still up and down. I struggle here and there. That's a difference there. So I'm not saying all sin is bad. Like all sin is that same attitude. So, what does Paul say? How does Paul respond to this? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Like, in my head, I see this, like, meme. It's like, Paul says no. Right? Or, just denied. By no means. Like, I think it's quite a, like, a... This is very traditional English. Like, by no means... I think this is a very strong, like, heck no. Like, no way. No way. Why? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. What does Jesus say here? He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So this again, this is what we were talking about before. Jesus came to fulfill the law so that we wouldn't have to be perfect in fulfilling the law in order to come into a relationship with God. He did that for us, but He did not get rid of the law. He just achieved the law's purpose. So we don't have to follow the law in order to be saved, but then what do we do with it? What do we do with the law? Is it okay to sin? Well, let's keep reading. Let's read verses 3 to 4. So Romans chapter 6, verse 3 to 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death 
in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God, we too might walk in the newness of life. So what does that mean? If we are truly following Jesus, then our old sinful self, the self that not only did bad things, but also the self that did not acknowledge God as Lord, as Creator, as our Savior, the one that, you know, based our standards on the ways of the world. I have to work hard. I have to succeed in order to be someone. Those kind of things as well. That sinful self, the thing that stopped us from coming into relationship with God, is actually dead and cut away, circumcised by the cross. You know, baptism is... So Paul mentions baptism. Baptism is symbolic. It's symbolic of dying and then coming back up to life, right? Of our old sinful self dying and our new self rising with Jesus. So that's why it's actually important to be baptized as a public sign that I'm now following Jesus, but also as symbolic of our old self going into the water, into death, and rising again with Jesus. So we should all encourage everyone to get baptized. And moving on to verse 4 and 5. So we read in verse 4, Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 5, For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. So when we are born again, when we are raised to life again, in Jesus' resurrection, we are united with God. We are no longer prisoners to sin, but we are now united with God. And we are free to follow God's law out of love, out of thanksgiving. Right? The freedom that we talk about is not freedom to do whatever I want, but it's freedom to actually worship and follow God the way that He desires the way that He has revealed to us in the Bible, through the law. That's what it means to be born again. It's not about, now you can become your own God, right? All your issues are done. Now you can start again and have a new life, doing whatever you want. It's, no, no, you are set free from the chains, the shackle, the bondage of sin. Free to follow God's law out of love and thanksgiving. Because you've already been saved through Jesus. Okay. All right. I just want to read our main passage one more time. And then we'll look at what that is telling us about following Jesus. So let's read verses... So I'm going to read from verse 11 to 14. So uh, let's, let's read that together again. 11 to 14. Okay, one, two, three. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. 
Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Okay. All right, so... Right, so I talked about relationship. We humans were created to be in relationship with God. That's a really important thing to believe uh, in order to understand all of this. Because if you believe that we are just accidents, you know, it's just cells coming together and scientific, I mean, it's not even a scientific thing. It's a materialistic. You know, we're just a one in a billion chance that happened to happen. Happened to happen. If you believe that, then it actually doesn't matter. Any of this doesn't matter because there's no purpose to life. But if you believe that humans were created by God to be in a relationship with Him, that is the original design. That is the way things are meant to be. Then, when sin came, it actually tore us away from God. It stopped that original design. It broke that design. And so what we are trying to do is, through Jesus, God wants to bring us back together to make things the way they, were, the way they, are, the way they are supposed to be, the way they are meant to be. All the pain, suffering, the, um, you know, the effects of sin, death, you know, spiritual death, physical death, emotional death, God can actually turn that around through Jesus. And as I said before, use those things to bring us closer to Him, to make us the way we are meant to be. He can turn what is bad into good. That's the power of the God we love. But did you know... Right, so the whole point is we want to be in a relationship with God. But did you know that being in a relationship with someone means that it's not just about my feelings, but it's that there is a right and a wrong way to act. Right? If you have a relationship with someone, there is a certain way you're meant to act towards them. And then there's a way you should not act towards them. Let's take an example. Um, For example... We have like our family at the back there, Haley and Joseph, husband and wife. Hello, Chloe. There is a way that Joseph must act towards Haley as her husband that is dictated by their relationship. Right? Correct? And there's also a way that Haley must act towards Joseph in a way that she should as his wife. Right? Every relationship is unique, but they all have the ways that they love each other. Same as boyfriend and girlfriend. You know, son, parent, friends with each other. There's a certain way you're expected to act based on your relationship. 
Okay? And that is actually what the word righteousness refers to. So let's look at verse... Uh, so it's, you can see it in verse 13, unrighteousness and righteousness. There's two ways to think about righteousness. The Greek Roman way is about legal standing, right? So, for example, if you are a criminal and you stand before the court, you are unrighteous until you are proven innocent. Then you become righteous legally. So that is what happens when we accept Jesus into our lives. We were once unrighteous before God, sinners. But through Jesus' blood washing us clean, we now become legally righteous. But here is Paul talking to Christians or non-Christians? He's talking to Christians. So he's talking about something that happens after this, you know, being saved. And this is where relationship comes into it. Because the Hebrew Jewish understanding of righteousness is about relationship, right relationship. So this is where Genesis 15, verse 5, I think, verse 5 to 6, God tells Abraham about, this is my plan for you. And it says, Abraham believed it, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now that's not just like being saved, Jesus' blood has nothing to do with that verse, right? It's saying that, the relationship between Abraham and his God, what God wanted from Abraham was to trust me, believe my promise. That was the right thing to do. Abraham did that, therefore he was righteous with God. Does that make sense? So, for example, the parks. Joseph, in order to be righteous with Haley, he must love her, her only, no other woman. He must remember their anniversary. Remember her birthday. Are these legalistic things? It's not being legalistic. It's being in a relationship. There are things that you have to do in order to be in a relationship. One example of me not doing this well was a couple of days ago, my mom took our mom, my and Lydia my and Lydia mom, grandma, uh, our mom, she took me up to a cafe, a bakery cafe on Mount Daninong because she's been there a couple of times. She really liked it. She thought I would like it. She took me up there. Now, for me, if you know me, I really don't like brunch. I don't like brunchy bakery type try-hard cafes. <laughs> so when, when she took me there, I walked in and I was like, oh, just ordered things, sat down, and my mom could sense that I wasn't very impressed. And so it's like, do you like it? Do you like it? I was like, it's okay, but you know, I'm happy to be spending time with you. That's what's most important. Now, what my dad told me was, although you may be honest, that's not actually the right thing to do to your mother. And I said, she's not my girlfriend. But I think I'm, I'm just seeing my mom as this person who will just love me and forgive me no matter what I do and that she has no feelings whatsoever. But sometimes that's the same way we look at God. 
God does not care about what, it, what we do at all because He loves us unconditionally. He will always love us even if we make a mistake, even if we don't care about Him, even if we don't make any effort towards Him. He's just this all-forgiving, all-loving person. That's sometimes how I treat my mom. I should have said, it's, oh, it's great, I love the... I love the the pot plants that are hanging from the roof. I love the wooden tables. Like, it's so rustic and and cool. Like, because I love my mom, I want her to be happy. So I will tell this huge lie that I love this place. But do you understand how relationship, righteousness, it, it actually depends on your actions. Your intention is not, sometimes it doesn't mean anything if it's not followed by some sort of action. Like, oh, like, I love my, I love my hypothetical girlfriend who does not exist. But I never do anything to show her. She is not going to receive that. That's not going to fly. That's not an excuse. But don't we do that with God sometimes? I love you, God. I believe you, Jesus. Yet we never do anything that reflects that in our daily lives. I think coming to church is a good start. But if you want to go deeper and deeper into your relationship with God, it has to flow out into your actions in the rest of your life, into the rest of your days. And I think what's important is that we remember why. It's easy to go from these loving acts to it becomes just like routine when you lose the motivation. You forget why you're doing it. Right? Even in a marriage or something, it become like anniversary, da, da, da. it become routine when you forget why you're doing it. You forget the heart. And so what is the heart, the motivation for why we should act in a certain way towards God? It's because He is, at the one time, He is our parent. He gave birth to us. He created us. He loved us. He raises us. He teaches us through His Word. He's also the same as our partner, our spouse. Beautiful, like someone who we adore and we love and who loves us back who makes us feel complete, who is perfect in our eyes. And he's also like that friend in need, the one who came through when you needed him the most, our Savior. He's all those things at once. And imagine how you would act towards those different special people in your life. Doesn't God deserve something actually more than all those things, given who he is? He actually did all the work in making us in a relationship. Right? We didn't have to earn our way into a relationship with Him. Jesus came to fill the law, to die, to rise again, because He did it all, all the work. So our part is to now act in accordance with our relationship with Him, to treat Him because of who He is, what He means to us. So again, how do we do that? 
you know, it's not, I don't have a different answer. It's always going to be read the Bible and pray and, you know, those kind of things. But why do we do that? Why is that important? Think about how do you get to know someone better? How do you learn how to please someone you care about? How to make your friend happy? How to make your parent happy? Your wife, your husband happy? You have to communicate with them. You have to learn what makes them tick, what they like, what they don't like. That's the same thing as reading the Bible. That's the same thing as praying. We're getting to know God better so we know how to be better at being in a relationship with Him, how to really treat Him the way He deserves to be treated. He knows us. He knows how we need to be treated. He knows what we need, so don't worry about that. But it's up to us to make the effort to get to know Him better and to respond. And so I think the one thing that I want to just focus on in terms of this whole sin thing is purity. Purity. I think in this new new generation, purity is becoming less and less of something to be worried about or something to care about. Even in the church, whether it's you know, premarital sex or, you know, cohabitation living together with your partner or you know obviously pornography masturbation lust all those things but when we stop when we stop caring about those things when we say it's okay like as long as you you know you believe in jesus then you know know, it doesn't it doesn't matter you know just try your best doesn't matter i think that's a sign of we're kind of losing We're forgetting who God is and how we should be treating Him in our relationship with Him. Right? And I just want to read one passage that explains why it's important for the purity of the church. So not just sexual purity, but even in terms of our... Like our... Like worldliness is a bit vague, but... You know, are we pure in loving Jesus and wanting to share that with Him? Or has church become more of like an enterprise? You know, we've turned it into like a business. The purity of the church. I'm going to turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 to 27. I'm just going to finish with this. Paul says to the husbands, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So the idea of purity is not that you're trying to be this super Christian. But we are the bride of Christ. Jesus is marrying the church, this relationship forever, eternal relationship forever. And we want to, like just say, you're a, if you're a girl, or even if you're a guy, and there's someone you like, you want to present yourself the best that you can be, right, for them. Especially if you imagine like your wedding day. You don't, you don't want to just rock up like, hey, I'll marry you, like, I'm fat, I haven't dieted, like, 
Often people, they present the best image of themselves, or they try to, as much as possible on the wedding day. That's the same idea behind purity. It's that we want to present ourselves clean, pure before Jesus. When we finally meet Him, when He returns, we want to be like this church that Paul describes. So again, the motivation is out of love, out of joy, out of thanksgiving. It's not out of, you must do this in order to be saved, in order to be a Christian. So, I'm just going to finish with that uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Once more. So Paul says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Walking with Jesus is not about being free to do whatever you want. We are free to know Him and love Him in the way that He deserves. And that includes keeping ourselves pure for Him. Not because it's a duty or a legalistic obligation, because it's the way you treat someone that you love and you care about. So yeah, I, I really encourage you to think about that. And you know, if there are things that you want to change, you know, talk to a leader, Talk to you can talk to me, um, and it's something that you know we take as a journey. We do it together. We help each other become more and more like Jesus. All right. So let me pray. I'll close us uh, this message in prayer. Father, we just thank you, God. We thank you, Lord, that you came, you saved us, you brought us back into a relationship with you, God. But, you know, we need to learn. We need to learn what it means to be in a relationship with you, what it means to walk with your son, Jesus, what it means to be the church, be the bride of Christ, what it means to treat you the way that you deserve, God, to show how much we are thankful and how much we love you and care for you, God. So, Father, I just pray that you would give us that heart, the motivation to seek your face through prayer, through reading the Bible, uh, even through like things like fasting, you know, doing these things as acts of love and devotion to you, God. Um, yeah, and Father, I pray that uh, as we do these things, God, that you will just bring us you know, closer and closer to you, God, that we would know you, you know, on such a deeper level, Lord, that truly we would be unshakable, that we would be able to rejoice and be strong through every suffering, through every obstacle in life, God. And we will just be steadfast, uh, following Jesus until the day He returns, until we enter into that eternal glory with You, God. So, Father, we just thank You. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.